Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivid section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. That's me, Zane. Oh, I'm so glad I gave you your catchphrase back. It makes you so happy. <laughs> no, I feel worse than ever. <laughs> you're, you're in pure sideshow Bob territory over here. Yeah, the grass is truly is always greener. Now that I'm standing on it, it's just a yard full of dog shit. And rakes. And rakes. <laughs> so many rakes. Why are the handle ends of the rakes covered in the dog shit? I have so much dog shit on my face. <laughs> Who is letting all of these dogs run around in this rake-filled yard? Oh. Anyway, that's me. Speaking of shit, uh, we're... <laughs> no, no, no. Honestly, this, this UFC card... I got it's a fight night and I got no problem with any of it. The early part of it is the under the prelims are largely a mess as a bunch of fighters that should not be in the UFC at all down there. There are some that shouldn't be on the prelims down mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And uh but you at the up at the top, you got a couple of ranked bouts, three. Three fights where everybody in them has a, a, a spot in the rankings, mm-hmm. I believe, and a you know some some quality, interesting fighters with actual stakes to fight for. It's a fight night, like that's all you got to do. That's it. You put I'm on some, the same page. I like it. You put some fighters I care about in there. You give them uh, fights that have meaning that are against people who can compete with them. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. And you fill in the bottom with some people that might someday be all right. Maybe that's mm-hmm. it. You're, you've done your job. Yep. It is not a hard. It is not a hard standard to meet. And really, you shouldn't complain about a card like this anyway, then, because these athletes are giving their best. You know, and it would be disrespectful to the athletes to complain about this or frankly any other card. That's that's not how this works. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I hereby absolutely denounce the <laughs> anti critic uh philosophy going on out there in the world today. Because mm-hmm. it is like this is a real honest to God modern phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Much more so, I think, than any point in the last century of media literacy mm-hmm. and media business, because we're really only talking about the last 150 years or so of newspaper ification, radio, television. I'm sure there were yield book critics back in the 1400s being like, oh, this latest illuminated manuscript. I don't know. <laughs> but... <laughs> Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't the, an industry 
can you even call these illuminations? Yeah, can, can you, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you know. Zane, what you're saying is we are Martin Scorsese. Yes. And all these Marvel nerds who want to yell at us for being like, I personally don't like Marvel movies, and that infuriates them to no end. Well, guess what? I'm coming out with a movie this year that looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, But at no point in the last 150 years or so of modern media literacy, we are at a point where criticism in general as an idea is more reviled than ever, I think. Where people have been trained to not want, act, I won't even say negative, but not want constructive opinions about yeah. the media they consume. They don't yeah. want. It. When and, you look at a look at any number of uh, like uh, Luke Thomas's replies on like Twitter, and there's always like five people down in the hidden replies being like must be exhausting always complaining about the ufc it's like yeah. bro if you want pro ufc shit go literally anywhere yeah <laughs> what are you complaining will give you a non-stop diet the yeah. largest sports media platform in the world is literally just a business partner of the yeah. ufc yeah it's all they, there if you want it you know it is all there if you want it and you know, I have people too coming to me all the time. Like, oh, you should get, you know, you know, why don't you just take, why don't you go get access and like do interviews and stuff? And it's like, I'm not, I am not in this business for access. And interviews are incredibly low. Like, people A, don't care about interviews either. They are very low turnaround in terms of like what people respond to and, and get into. Yeah. And they are a ton of work. A yeah. ton of work. It's it's just not, you know, you can call me lazy if you want, that's fine. But it's just not my place. It's not what I want to be in this business. I'm not here to we want oh, to be the insider. I don't want to be an insider. We want to do our little podcast where we kvetch. Yeah. About bad cards, but this isn't one of them. And yeah, this isn't one. And when we like something, I want to be able to just be like, oh, I love this and not have to worry about like, oh, I said I love this. And now my friend who's a manager of three of the fighters on a card that I, I'm not that into is like, well, why don't you tell t- say you love this and all that? Because you think that doesn't happen. It happens all the time in this business. We are truth tellers. We are. That's right. Say We are sage truth tellers who should be loved and respected. That is. Modern day philosophers, that's the main thing, is that people yeah. should love us. Yeah, no, honestly, absolutely. <laughs> they shouldn't criticize us. I walk down the street, <laughs> I turn to somebody and I say, that you do not feel honored to be in my presence right now. <laughs> You're sharing a bus stop with a podcast host. Yeah, yeah you. Excuse me. <laughs> you do not know what you are missing, sir. And I pity you. Oh, it's sir for you. I only yell at women in public. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different for me when I go out. Excuse me, ladies, ladies. <laughs> hey, ladies. <laughs> okay. Anyway, for, for a fight card, we like we're bullshitting quite a lot. Yeah. Anyway, Sadiq Yusuf, Edson Barboza, and I gotta say, the thing that I'm really liking about this fight 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've come around on Sadiq Yusuf, the uh, the uh, what's his name, the the Lloyd Irvin acolyte. Yeah, I will say for a dude that hangs that spends a lot of time with Lloyd Irvin, Sadiq Yusuf, he's he's a very inoffensive fighter out on out in the the it's world. Just a, a bottomless well of charm and good humor. Yeah, it's a real shame about the Lloyd Irvin thing because you, you can't you can't just tar people for you know in this business it's gonna we there are so many there are so many associations for fighters it's like okay it's not you who's actually been this awful person i'm just gonna say whatever yeah you know the guy you know every one of these fighters would polish dana white's boots given the chance to like what can i yeah an mma fighter who tries to uh an MMA fighter who tries to make it in this uh, in this game without associating with anybody of ill repute yeah. will be dead of starvation in three weeks. Exactly. So Sadiq Youssef seems rather charming. Um, but the thing that I really has really got me going about this fight is I feel like this is a, a really a fight Edson Barboza can win. I feel the same way. Yeah. Because um, the other thing about Sadiq Youssef he has won me over as a guy. Yep. But as a fighter, I have not really seen what I feel like is any meaningful progression from Sadiq Yusuf. Yeah. In his entire UFC tenure. I hate to say that that's true. And that's honestly too. If you want to get into, if you want to get into criticisms of Lloyd Irvin outside of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, all of the allegations against him and yeah, all of the, the rape cult thing. And all that stuff. Uh-huh. If you want to get into criticisms of Lloyd Irvin as a coach, it seems to be that he produces, he actually can turn fighters into very good, very capable uh, regional level talent in yeah. a hurry. Like those fighters, you see a lot of his guys like Tefan and Chukwi, James mm-hmm. Vick, mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Easton. Mm hmm. These dudes bulldoze the regional scene, and then mm-hmm. it takes them like three, four, five fights, and you're like, "Damn, they are, they are ready for a step up." And then they never change. That's just who they are forever. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. very sick jitsu, mm. uh, rich little kind of thing. Although the fundamentals are better with the the team Lloyd Irvin fighters. I yeah. Guess. It suggests that probably uh, it suggests that probably Lloyd Irvin's camp has a lot of very good like basic training, yeah. but does not really have any idea of how to develop a fighter or how to strategize that well for varying opponents. Yeah. Aside from the whole, you know, one of his star athletes had to orchestrate a great escape style exodus in the middle of the night. You remember the whole yeah. Keenan Cornelius saga, right? Yeah, there's a um, whole lot of other shit we could get to, but even just on the sporting side of things, it it is notable that you you know uh, what was her name that uh the woman team leader Shauna Dobson uh? no no it wasn't um oh man real grappling focused game uh. Oh, fought Aspen Lad, I believe, at one point. Oh, I have a dog going nuts. 
you mentioned She's mad loiter. about it. Uh, she mentioned loiter. Sara Eubanks. Sara Eubanks, yes, yes, yes. Even somebody like Sara Eubanks, you know, it just, she came into MMA with like a pretty good game where you're like, oh, this this can be worked on and progress. Yeah. And it just, it just never did. Yeah. So that's the story with Sadiq Yusuf is he appears to have stagnated. And, and if anything, I feel like he's sort of become more limited. Um, yeah. Because it may have just been a level of competition thing. But I remember his contender series fight with Mike Davis. Yeah. Mike Davis is I, honestly, if we're talking level of competition, Mike Davis is totally pretty good. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that it's, it's true. Yeah. I mean, he was um, quite inexperienced as the time at the time, as was Yusuf. But. I swear that that was a fight in which Sadiq Yusuf looked like a pretty slick boxer. Yeah. Uh, was like showing off his defense, had like a variety of approaches where we saw him pressuring, but we also saw him countering and working off the jab. Uh, he was in there like slipping and shoulder rolling. And he has become much more of a pretty one note, squared up, uh, plodding, come forward fighter. Yeah, it was it was really notable in that that fight with Alex Caceres. Yeah, that Alex Caceres really he he put a scare into Yusuf with yeah. how consistently he could outslick him. And yeah. Alex Caceres is not he's not a bad he's he's a pretty good striker in any isolated moment. But he's he's also a fighter who, if you keep going after him and you keep pressuring him and you keep putting stuff together, he yeah. will just fall. He will fall into predictable patterns and traps. Yeah, which is how Yusuf hit upon the idea that he could just do a right low kick every single time Caceres did anything. Yeah, and that he was going to lunge in from really far away and just get his leg chopped out. He did figure it out, but yeah. absolutely, the first round it's like, is Caceres going to win this fight? Because yeah. Yusuf is having a hard time tracking him down, uh, having a hard time keeping him cornered, having a really hard time getting the first shot off mm-hmm. uh, because he comes in really square. His head is right over his front foot. Um, a particular wrinkle there is that Caceres was fighting Southpaw, and that is definitely a matchup that Yusuf, his limitations become far more pronounced because he barely uses his jab. Um. And is just doing like double, triple right hands that like put him out of position. And yeah, it was like he felt he had to clinch Caceres and then he figured out he could low kick him. And that's how he got the win. But uh, not a particularly pretty win and um, not a recipe for beating Edson Barboza. No. Yeah. Like watching that Caceres fight, it makes me feel that if Yusuf were to fight the Bill Algio we saw last weekend, he would lose. Yeah. That Bill Algio is like just slick enough and just tricky enough to do what Caceres did and carry it, carry that approach to victory. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I mean, to me, a major sort of um, point of comparison between these two guys is that these are two fighters in different contexts, but two fighters um, who can win or lose uh, dependent on how, how often they get to set their feet. Yeah, because neither of them are very good at moving and punching at the same time, which is admittedly a pretty advanced skill that takes a long time to get the hang of. 
Sure. Uh, taking adjustment steps like mid combination, it takes a real level of comfort and balance. You have to be really relaxed when you're in the midst of what could be a fight ending exchange uh, yeah. to fight that way. But for Barboza, well studied at this point, the Barboza gallop. Yeah. People who pressure him really, really hard. He falls into exactly the same pitfall we saw Adesanya fall into against Sean Strickland, where mm-hmm. the way he feels he has to move to get back to safety negates all of his ability to plant his feet and fire. Mm-hmm. Does not have the small little lateral adjustment step kind of movements needed to evade while keeping a threat up at the same time. Um, and so if somebody can pressure him really hard, as we have seen multiple times, Barboza is not going to get his feet planted often enough to back them off. Yeah. Uh, unless he can KO them, which sometimes he does, like against Benil Dariush. Sure. Um, and for Sadiq Youssef, it is the same thing, but in a plodding forward context that people like Caceres um, or Andre Feely at points, especially yeah. late in that fight, can just completely outslick him because he has to kind of inch his way into range and has to get his feet planted. And once he throws, his feet are going to stay planted. So there I mean, is even a, Gabriel Benitez and Arnold Allen, too, yeah. of course, and Shaman Marais. Yeah. All of them. Like Sadiq Yusuf, almost in every fight, he he will have some big success landing with power coming forward, pressuring, sure. and will have that success often immediately reversed. Yeah, with how open he is to getting hit while coming forward. Yeah, you can you can interrupt him before he gets off because, as I said, that face comes into range right when he does, um, and you can counter him because he will throw really hard and then will not adjust his feet. Yep, uh, unless it is to crash straight forward, and that's not really an adjustment. That's just momentum. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's like an interesting question. Can Sadiq Yusuf pressure hard enough? He likes to pressure. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all he does anymore. Can he pressure hard enough and consistently enough to stop having to deal with Barboza in the pocket, which is a proposition that basically nobody wins? Mm-hmm. Because as long as Barboza can plant his feet, he will rip you to pieces. Yep. Um, he's a little fragile, Barboza. I think he always has been, and uh, Phil was saying the other day that maybe more so than ever, that he's he's getting hurt more often. We've talked about before, Barboza, is a, he, as a striker, when he is in the pocket, he has great combinations, and he's got great flow to his strikes. Yeah. But he also, he seems to me like what a fighter who is, what you know, like the pinnacle of training this style of just picking a combination and throwing it regardless of what's in front of him. And the defense and the offense are built into it. It might be a very good set combination that can do a lot of damage or can put, you know, slip a strike, return fire, whatever. But it's very much like when he gets hit, it often seems like he doesn't see the strike coming at all. Sure. You know, yeah. if he's if he's fully committing himself to firing, then, yeah, he'll get surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and maybe it is just the chin. Like, maybe you wouldn't even notice that as an issue if he had, again, like Bill Algios. Yeah. Like, and he just can just eat whatever and nothing matters. Um, but 
it has to be said, Edson Barboza is a very offensively potent fighter, both at long range when he's not being backed off and in the pocket. And I kind of doubt that Yusuf is going to be able to pressure him. Yeah. Uh, relentlessly enough to not end up in that range where Barboza is just slicker and more flexible and more varied in his attack. Because the thing is, is like, yeah, the intense pressure has worked against Barboza in the past, but only ever when the end point of that pressure is a really confident wrestling game. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two things have to come in tandem because it's not like it's easy to out wrestle Edson Barboza. Um, and it's not particularly easy to pressure him without the wrestling. Yeah. Uh, because you can get his feet moving, but at some point, like uh, even if it's him running into the cage, if that's not the point at which you tie him up or shoot on his legs, um, now his feet are planted. He's going to rip your head off with a left hook. Um, so it's like Bryce Mitchell, Kevin Lee, Khabib, you know, these are all fights that, I mean, this is another thing about Barboza. His longevity is outstanding. Really, aside from the chin, he has every single hallmark of a truly elite athlete. Incredible cardio, powerful, fast, great balance. Like, he's got it all, except he's maybe limited in terms of durability um, and stylistically. But uh, all of these guys use that pressure to lead into a wrestling game. And other people who either have a worse wrestling game or who just sort of pressure in a more plotting way without that obvious end goal to work towards, that kind of bailout option to bypass the danger in the pocket, the only one who's done it in one is Justin Gaethje. Yeah. Very quickly. Just backed Robos up into the cage and just was like, let's punch together and knocked him out. This looks to me like it will likely be a lot closer to Shane Burgos as a Barboza uh-huh. opponent. Somebody who's kind of foot slow, who comes forward, leads with their face, and doesn't really give enough impetus for Barboza uh, to not be able to get off either first or on the counter. Um, and the only thing I'll add is that Yusuf is a little better in this when he's not fighting a southpaw. Because yeah. the most yeah. the, the the most worrying performances from him, those recent ones you mentioned, Arnold Allen, Alex Caceres, um, even the third round against Andre Feely. I think these are those are things that Barboza can replicate and possibly exceed. But uh, part of him suddenly sort of not knowing what to do in the third round against Feely was Feely ch- changed stances. Yeah, and that that clearly it takes his jab out of the equation. His whole game just becomes a lot more cumbersome. Um, so, I mean, I think the game plan is there and maybe Yusuf will look to get Barboza to the cage and try to wrestle him. He can wrestle sure. and he's a great grappler. Yeah. But, um, not his a game. And if it's not your a no. game, I have a really hard time expecting you to, to do that for five rounds. Barboza is a great takedown defender. It has to be said. He is, he is a really, really great takedown defender. He's worked on it his whole career. He knows what the weakness he knows of that as a weakness. I don't know that he knows necessarily that his, you know, his inability to punch while moving and his, you know, the, the sort of like automatic nature of some of his combination striking is I a think weakness. He does to some extent. I think in, it, yeah, you know, it's probably part of the reason he decided to move down because, yeah, 
the reason I think he feels like a bigger puncher at featherweight is simply that like he feels bigger. And that is a huge psychological boon when you, if you recognize that your problem is people keep backing me off. Yeah. Yeah. And so now he's like, he feels more imposing. He is, it takes more um, aggression to back him out of the pocket. And he has also, he has definitely improved in his ability to find jabs Mm-hmm. while moving evasively he's he's improved as a stick and move kind of fighter so at least there's something but uh it's just it's such a baked in thing i doubt he will ever be able to fix it all together uh, yeah but it's a five-round fight i mean i just feel like he could figure yusuf out at some point this is not giga chikadze um, this is like yeah the, the thing to me is really that i just think there's going to be too many times when the thing yusuf needs to do that he feels he needs to do to trap Barboza is to sit down and square up with him. Yeah. And it's just going to lead to a lot of low kicks. Yeah. Early on, you know, it's going to lead to Barboza meeting that squared up Yusuf with a calf kick. Mm -hmm. And how many times does that have to happen before Yusuf can't pressure. Mm-hmm. And if he can't pressure, he's just going to be kind of screwed. Yep. And there's going to be body kicks and there's going to be head kicks too. Like the one Arnold yep. Allen bounced off of Yusuf's dome and knocked him down with. Yep. So um, I'm, I got to pick Barboza here. Yeah. He's just a buzzsaw, man. Like, yeah, if you're, if you're uh, not far enough beyond the point of, of fighting like Dan Hooker or Shane Burgos, you see how those, more like sort of gradual, uh, less creative pressuring approaches pan out. And it's never good yeah. for the guy trying to pressure Barboza. <laughs> it's only oh. the guys who pressure really, really, really hard and love seeing his ass hit the fence because they know they're going to out-wrestle him. Those are the yeah. guys who beat him with pressure. And it has to be said, Billy Quar- even Billy Quarantillo, yeah. you know, he knew exactly what to do. Quarantillo and, and Dariush both had exactly the right idea, yeah. and they just they both got nuked with knees. Yeah. There's a lot there. Edson Barboza, for a guy who has lost as much as Edson Barboza has, it is crazy how difficult it is to actually beat him if you don't have precisely the right tool. Bro, like career-ending losses. Yeah. That loss to Khabib was a career-ender. That was in 2017. Yep. <laughs> He's, I don't get it. He's almost 38. At some point, yeah. the wheels are going to fall off. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the speed that allows him to be such a fear in the pocket yeah. is going to go. And when that goes, it is going to... You know, the, the the durability will be a bigger issue than ever. Yeah. But he was so, you know, in his prime, he was so blazingly fast in comparison with most other UFC fighters. Yeah. He has that it's the... taking a long time. Even him losing little steps at speed still has him faster than all, but like the top yeah. five of his division. And being down a division, like he's still the, 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 the floor for Edson Barboza is way higher than most guys top speed. Yeah. He's, uh, he, he's, that is, he has the long post prime of all truly elite athletes. He is basically a dude who has been a top 10 lightweight since he wheel kicked Terry Adam in 2012. Yeah. And he is still a 
top 10 fighter now. Like he's not, he's never gotten past that edge. Yep. But he's never really fallen below it either. Yep. It's kind of absurd. Sort of in the position Michael Johnson was in forever, but he he's just got a longer tail on his prime career than Michael Johnson. Well, and his his flaws aren't mental. He absolutely. So that's yeah. the thing with Johnson. No one is, can no one can count out Barboza's mental toughness. Yeah, you don't break Barboza mentally. Yeah, you have to break him physically. You have to be doing something to him physically that will break down his skill set. Yeah. You can, there have been plenty of fights where people will out the, the Habib fight and the Kevin Lee fight that followed it. He so, rocked Kevin Lee with a head kick in the fourth round of that fight. Yeah. If I recall correctly, like Barboza will fight tooth and nail every single second of every fight. Yeah. I think the thing is, I mentioned this on heavy hands too, but I think the thing with Barboza too, uh, that separates it from other fighters is that he really, really, really loves fighting. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is the thing. Like, he's been doing this forever, but, like, he enjoys the training. He enjoys yep. the competition. Like, he is really, truly passionate about this. It is his life's work. Yep. And I think you can see that because um, it's difficult to tell the degree to which he might have physically declined because he is just in there, like, doing his absolute best, which is, again, all the more shocking considering the fact that he has been through two or three losses that you're like, this is the guy's career is ruined. He's never coming back from this psychologically. It hasn't yeah. changed him. He loves it. Nope. And I mean, he's also a dude where he has a wife and kids, but do you ever hear a word about his personal life ever? No, no, that, that, that is a man that lives every second between waking and sleeping in a gym somewhere. Just yeah. like, and somehow does all this without having racked up a bunch of like injuries. Yeah. Like you see from a lot of other fighters who fight this long. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. If, 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 if Edson Barboza had uh, like a 30% better chin, who knows? Oh <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's really his only physical shortcoming. Yeah. It's true. If he could easily, if he were, if he were indestructible, yeah, then, you know, he would be, he would be, we would be talking about him potentially in like Jose Aldo context kind of thing. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a sad day when Barboza like blows out his knee in the cage. You're like, okay, it's officially over. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. But I think this is, uh, this is a very winnable matchup for him. Barboza, Yusuf is the favorite right now, but at minus 159, currently minus 158. That number climbed a little closer for a minute up to minus 141, but is back down at, uh, right where it started. Barboza opened at plus 143, currently plus 142. Like I said, once again, climbed all the way down to plus 127, but shot right back up. I don't know. I don't really, you know, I, I, I see the case for the age. Sure. That's really it is it's to me, it's just an age pick. Cause even, Sadiq Yusuf as a power puncher, which was what marked his early career. Mm -hmm. He has had two knockout, two TKOs in the UFC against Suman Mokhtarian and Mogli Benitez. Benitez is probably the best case for him in a fight like this. Yeah. Somebody who's also blazingly fast but can get cornered. And yeah. 
But even in that fight, like this is the thing that Yusuf himself is not indestructible. He no. was knocked down twice by Arnold Allen, and Gabriel Benitez hurt him badly first. And it's a like credit to him that he just Yusuf fight involves him getting near, nearly, you know, get, getting punished exactly as badly as he is punishing somebody at the right at the exact same moment. Yeah, like when Yusuf is landing big, he's eating that same shot. He return. could very easily knock Barboza out. Sure. But sure. he could very easily get knocked out by Barbosa too. So but I'm just saying that, like, there's not a lot of evidence in his recent performances that Sadiq Yusuf is maintaining himself as a knockout finisher at a high level. Just don't think he's so, particularly surprising. Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking at that, without the knockout threat necessarily being right there, the pick on Yusuf is a lot thinner you know mm-hmm. you're looking at mm-hmm. a five round fight and if nobody's getting knocked out mm-hmm. I'm picking Barboza yep alright that brings us to a woman's flyweight fight Jennifer Maya Vivia Raujo and a couple of years ago I might have been more I, I might have found this a little harder to pick mm-hmm I might have been more willing to be like, you know, I think Vivi Araujo, there's something special there. She's building. She's working on something because she's a great athlete, mm-hmm. a much better natural athlete than uh, Jennifer Maya has yeah. ever been. But there's also, I think, just clearly a fact that... That allowed Araujo to get a much later start in fighting with much fewer tools and get to a high level where now she just doesn't have that many tools. And she's trying to refine her game. She's trying to be a better striker. She's certainly a much more nuanced boxer than when she hit the UFC. No doubt. But what we've also seen is that Against anyone other than like the worst, the the slowest athletes, she is just too one note and can get caught up in a foot race against fighters with any other tools in their game where she can't change the tempo. Mm -hmm. You know, you're looking at. Andrea Lee, Roxanne Modafferi, Montana De La Rosa, what do they all have in common? Alexis Davis, what do they all have in common? They are four of the most foot, foot slow women in their division. Mm-hmm. You know? And without that, like Jessica I, Caitlin Chukagian, Alexa Grasso obviously went and won a championship, but Amanda Hebush. These aren't fighters that even have a whole huge other bag of tricks they're drawing on. Yeah. They can just stick with Araujo and offer just enough extra variety that Araujo is the one who's falling behind trying to play catch up. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer Maya, she, you know, there's maybe she's on that borderline of foot slowness. She's Mm -hmm. not fleet. And she's on a borderline of being herself one note. And she's on a borderline herself of being one note. But she's but very, very consistent. She is exceedingly consistent. 
And she has turned that lately into something a little bit better. I'm going to say in the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. Maya has looked, if not, you know, she's not adding a lot of extra dimensions to her game, but what she's doing lately is she's changing her combinations regularly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's stepping in and she's throwing three punches instead of two. She's throwing body head instead of just head. Mm -hmm. She's throwing a hook and a cross instead of just a jab cross. She's changing up her combinations just regularly enough that being very one note is not as, you know, somebody like Casey O'Neill, where we would have thought, hey, maybe Casey O'Neill, she's not, she's a pretty raw striker, but she just pours out a ton of volume. Yeah. Maybe that'll be too much for Jennifer Maya. Casey O'Neill could not for one second figure out what, what Maya was doing out there. Mm-hmm. And just got absolutely picked apart the whole time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think there was still in that fight a point at which it seemed O'Neill kind of at least got Maya's timing. I mean, that's the thing sure, is sure. you're going to pick up on her timing. She's not yeah. that quick. Her entries are all coming off if, the if, same step. They're pretty similar. Maya, if she, if Joaquin Buckley were yeah. way slower and less powerful yeah, he Jennifer Maya are doing the exact same thing. Yeah, it is the same game. Yep. But, but there aren't there aren't knockout artists in the women's the women's flyweight division. You know. Yep, not many. If, if Buckley never had to worry about getting knocked out, we've already seen like mm-hmm. he's he, at, at down at welterweight where people don't punch quite as hard as middleweight. Mm-hmm. He beasted Alex Morono, which I'm gonna yeah. drag you over the coals for. In our <laughs> shut up, <laughs> um, the athletic equivalent of your average women's flyweight, right? Yeah. So I, I just got to think here that Jennifer Maya is just gonna be a half step ahead of Vivia Rausho, and that's all it takes because the Rausho can't change up the she she can't change up the formula. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you all the way. Maya's just super consistent. She's she's super high output these days. Yeah, you know these these last two fights, she has just been putting out. I mean, I I want to see what how many punches she threw against Casey O'Neill. Oh, let she, me see. She, she landed 145 of 349 attempts. Yeah, and you know what? It's great to see for her because she's always been incredibly durable. Yeah, she's just a tank. Lean on that durability. Go out there. Like I say, she's changing up her combinations. Yep. So just throw all the variety and all of the all the strikes. Be yep. durable, throw, and make it a foot race for you. That can work in her favor, you know? Yep. 253 thrown against Marina Moroz. The last two fights, she's been really, really insistent. And yeah, she she appears to be just banking more on her toughness and recognizes that she needs to throw more punches to pick up rounds and there is some variety in the combinations, but there's also just more combinations. Yeah. She used to be a pretty sparing one, two machine. Yep. Um, and now she's putting a hook after that too, more often than not. And she's doing it about three times more often per minute. Yep. Um, so yeah, I- I'm taking her too. I mean, uh, Arojo is, um, going to be dangerous, especially early. She's very quick. She's very, 
She has a great feel for like landing counters. Mm-hmm. She was surprising Amanda Hibosh again and again coming out of the pocket. But then her own entries became predictable, and Amanda Hibosh ended up being the one to surprise her. Yep. Uh, Araujo's not very subtle at closing the distance. Once you would make an adjustment to her, she's not going to make an adjustment to you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that Maya will make a particularly big adjustment. She will try different combinations yeah. to see what works. But uh, she is just going to continually plug away at, yep. uh, at Arojo. I think that's going to be enough to win. Yep. Odds on the fight. Arujo is the underdog here. Opened at plus 127, currently plus 138. Maya opened at minus 141, currently minus 155. Yeah, I think it's just with Maya's durability, you you have to lean on her here. Mm-hmm. If she's not going to get stopped, I just have seen. I have not seen Arujo Arujo beat anybody that she could not clearly outpace yeah and out slick and she's not gonna out i don't think she's gonna out slick jennifer yeah and or that she was way faster than in like every dimension like andrea lee yeah and like maya is as you said she's on the edge of being foot slow but she's not hand slow no um and she's just she's a lot more willing to sit in the pocket and keep plugging than andrea lee is yes Lee tends to like to have the like, oh, I step back and I reset and I, yeah, you know. There was that last fight of Lee's too. I can't remember. Yeah. Who the opponent was. Who was that? Oh. Uh, Natalia Silva. Yeah. Where yeah. She was just like, she just kept, she got scared in the pocket by the speed and then was like, I guess I'll lose while trying a low kick every now and then for the rest of the fight. Maya's yeah. not going to default to that kind of timid approach. No. That's why she did so well in her fight against uh, Shevchenko. Yep, you know, she she didn't have the speed to actually beat Shevchenko, but she was, you know, one of the rare fighters who was just not willing to backstep against mm-hmm. Shevchenko and forced Shevchenko to actually fight half to fight her. Mm-hmm. So, all right, that brings us to a men's bantamweight bout: Jonathan Martinez, Adrian Yanez. And this is a quality fight. Now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great matchup. Very intriguing and a real rubber meets the road moment for Adrian Yanez. Yep. Who um, I'm not nearly ready to close the book on him based on one loss, but I think committed a grave strategic error. Yeah. Fight with Rob Font. Um, I think we talked about this after the fact, but he he went into that. It was an understandable mistake yep. to make because yep. Rob Vaughn had, was coming off the back of uh, like two just absolutely torturous fights in which yeah. he was doing everything right, more or less, but just kept getting losing big single moments. Kept that getting balked. Yeah. And Yana's just like, well, I'm a beast in the pocket. I hit hard. I'm fast as hell. I throw great combinations. I'm going to knock this dude out. Yep. Forgetting the fact that A... None of those guys actually knocked Rob Fawn out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and B, none of them did it by having a firefight with Rob Font. Which is, in fact, a, whether or not he's he's more fragile than he would like, Rob Font, is a, a very double-edged proposition. Yeah. Because Rob Font himself, as Jan has discovered, hits hard and is big. 
Yep. Uh, and if you're going to go in there and like, that is not what Aldo and uh, Cheeto Vera did. They did not just sling it out with Rob Fawn in like 50, 50 exchanges. If they did, they might've gotten stopped. Well, Cheeto wouldn't impossible, yeah. but yeah, impossible, to... <laughs> impossible. But, uh, you know, Rob Fawn could have knocked out Jose Aldo. If Aldo was just trying to have a combination fest with him, Yep. Uh, or he would have worn him out because his work rate is insane. Yana's went in there and just traded with Rob Font and discovered that that is not a good idea. Uh, Rob Font just hit him at the same time and also just kept like grabbing his head and just hockey punching him to death. Yeah, he, uh, he realized after eating a bunch of jabs that if he just stepped inside into the pocket with Adrian Yanez, he actually yeah. knew a lot more technical trip tricks in there. Yeah. He had a lot more veteran tricks that Yanez wasn't ready for. And yeah. he could he could start to he could start to get Yanez off his game and hit him at points he didn't expect. Yeah, it was a, it was a very Cerrone Alexander Hernandez kind of yeah moment for Font. Yeah, the exchange isn't over because you think it is kind of uh, yeah kind of thing. And you know, it, but it's still it's not a loss that makes me think that if they were to rematch that fight, that Yanez couldn't beat Rob Font. Yeah, he just took the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'm very curious to see what that whether he has had that realization, uh, what he may or may not have learned after the loss to Rob Font, if it will change him, because I'm that has to be his first knockout loss. He hasn't. It was his first loss in a long time in general. Yeah, he's only he lost a split decision to Miles Johns, a split decision to Domingo Pilarte, both before he got to the UFC, and then an early, early decision, unanimous decision to Levi Moles. Yeah, so never so. been stopped and hadn't lost in a long time. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what may change, and it's sort of like a uh, a bizarro situation where. Um, I would have said, if you put Martinez and Yanez next to each other, I would have said, well, Yanez is clearly the guy with more upside. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's faster. He's just more dynamic. He's more dangerous. I think he has a deeper skill set in his specialty. Yep. But Martinez just cleared a hurdle that being, I think, a slightly worse athlete than Yanez, he maybe shouldn't have cleared in beating Saeed Nurmagomedov. Not the most yeah. convincing performance. In fact, we just looked this up the other day. MMA decisions, the vast majority of people thought Nurmagomedov won that fight. I thought it was a fine decision for Martinez, but even so, it was a it was towing the limits, I think, uh, of what Martinez can, can do or, or thought he could do. Because a big part of that, and why I think I'm going to end up picking Giannis here, was that Martinez did not like being in mutual range with somebody way faster than him. Yep, Martinez is, he is a very, very all the way in, all the way out fighter. He either wants to be way outside at kicking range. Yeah. Or he used to just leap through the space into the clinch. Yeah. And that was his only two settings. And he's trying to get more comfortable at punching in the middle range. But he does not like getting hit there at all. Yeah, he has improved, too. I mean, I think yeah. his boxing defense is better. He's developed a better jab, better footwork. Yeah. But you could see that even after Saeed was gassed from having a typically inefficient, crazy first round. Yeah. Um, and from having to clinch up with Martinez, who is still very strong in the clinch. 
Um, even then, in like the third round, there are moments where Martinez has Saeed Nurmagomedov backed up to the fence and is like, uh, how am I supposed to get in? What do I do? He's completely cornered. But when he does something, it's twice as fast as anything I can do. And it ended up being a very cautious third round, which like, that's the thing is even if I, I thought it was fine that he won, he should have won it more decisively. Yeah. And he couldn't either didn't have the skills or couldn't convince himself to take the right risks to win it more decisively. Um, all of that being said, I don't know how Giannis deals with somebody who kicks the hell out of his legs. He has been susceptible to it the few times people have tried. Davy Grant yeah. knocked him off his feet with low kicks a couple yeah. times in, in the first round of their fight. Um, and uh, and I'm not entirely sure how he deals with the clinch, especially after seeing Rob Font just kind of snap his head down and hit him in the face. So maybe the two, you know, his slice of range in which he appears to be clearly better and far more dangerous than Martinez is it sits right in the middle of two ranges where it looks like Martinez might have an advantage. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to pick Giannis. I feel like he uh, he could probably have exactly the same stupid fight he had with Rob Font and win. Like, I think if he can just force the pocket on Martinez, he can outpunch him. Um but there are a lot of like strategic ways for him to go wrong as a uh, ultimately the more, as I said, better in his specialty, but more limited broadly than, uh, than Martinez. There's a, looks like a little athletic edge and a major skill edge in one very specific range. But yeah. uh, I, it's, it's tough. I think I'm going to side on the Martinez side of this. I think mm -hmm. I, I am worried. And the big thing that worries me more than anything is something that we haven't talked about, which is Jonathan Martinez's loss to Andre Ewell. Yeah, that, that one I watched. And back also... in 2020, because he could not for the life of him solve his way around the jab because mm -hmm. he didn't, he, like I say, he hates being in mid range. Yep. So he wanted to be all the way out and kicking, but against somebody who had a huge reach, mm -hmm. it put him at the one place that Ewell is effective. Yeah. And Martinez could not solve it. And also many instances of Ewell just doubling down and extending the exchanges. Yeah. And Martinez clearly having the mindset of like, this is the shot that's supposed to back you off and just couldn't get a reset when he wanted it. Yeah. And so I am worried about that. Yeah. I will admit. But just Yanez is so he just doesn't seem like he cares about a kicking game at all yeah and I think he I worry that he's gonna get really chewed up yeah he could lose like Vince Morales because he does not have the range that Andre Ewell had true and I think Martinez has gained confidence, and I think he's gained enough that if he can, if he can just get the jump on Yanez early in this fight, yeah, he can put Yanez in a deficit that he won't be able to, to claw his way out of. Yeah, this is this is a fight where Yanez really, really needs to pressure Martinez hard. Yeah, yeah, and if and he do it right away. If he does his typical thing of, um, you know, measuring things and feeling out the fight, it could put him in, as you said, like a, a deficit, a, a hole he can't climb out of. If he, yeah. Martinez is a dangerous low kicker. He will cripple you. 
He will. Uh, if you stay at that range and just let him chew up your legs. So I'm going to pick Martinez just for a good hot start. Sure. This could be a fight that, like, by the end of it, you're like, man, Giannis has really worked his way into back into this fight. Yep. And he, Martinez has kind of run himself out of ideas. But I think Martinez, I'm going to pick Martinez on the low kicking just because. Sure. I think Giannis is so singularly focused on the game that he feels works mm-hmm. that bantamweight is it's just a tough division to be that guy. Yeah. You know? Yep. To to be the one deep skill guy at bantamweight. Yep. And there's the X factor of who knows how Giannis will react psychologically to a crushing defeat. Yeah. Yeah. His first. His first really decisive loss. Yep. I mean, my hope is that Yanez, you know, I he's the kind of fighter that I he, he's the young veteran. I, I my hope for Yanez is that mm-hmm. we see him, you know, five six years from now in his prime, just being as like a thirty five year old bantamweight, mm-hmm. being the best version of himself. Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see what lumps he has to take to get there. Because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Jorge Masvidal had to take a bunch too. Yep. Yeah. So. If this happens to be a fight where Giannis comes out there and does everything like he normally would, but simply checks low kicks, yeah, right, or counters them really decisively, yeah. like any little wrinkle like that. Like I said, Giannis looks like the guy with more upside. Yep. Uh, between the two of these guys, but he, I think it's very likely he's not ready yet for the more fully developed game of uh, Martinez. Yeah, we'll see. Great fight. Hot dog fight. Martinez is the favorite very slightly. Opened at minus 105. It's currently minus 114. Yanez opened at minus 105. It's currently plus 103. I think just about dead even is right. Mm-hmm. Both men. Uh, Martinez has really done a lot to prove that he can outwork his potential, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, the kid is just... You know, he's putting together a very neutralizing game that keeps him, you know, keeps him away from a lot of a lot of trouble. And he's proved like he proved in that Saeed Nurmagomedov fight, too. Like he can also just be a good scrambler and have good cardio and make mm-hmm. a fight difficult win it just by gutting something out. Mm hmm. And Yanez is right now, he's the guy who's maybe just been a little more confident in how good his skills are, that mm-hmm. he should just be winning fights because he has these skills he can trust. He's totally, so, I think, been playing it by ear every single time out yeah. up to this point. Yeah. So I think dead even is is just right. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Michelle Pereira, Andre Petrosky. Pereira moving up in a in a in the most blindingly obvious needed to happen divisional change of all time. Mm-hmm. Michel Pereira it was is one of God's born middleweights. <laughs> like you look at him, you're like, this guy's too athletic for middleweight. He should be a light heavyweight. He's a beast. You're yeah. like, oh, his game, like, it makes no sense. And now he has a version that does make sense, and it makes sense in the most one-note way possible. Exactly. You are, like, the one-note, I-do-one-thing-well-weirdo athlete. Yeah. 
middleweight is the place for you. It just is. Yep. He's huge. He's fast. He's powerful. He does one thing well. And yeah, 185 is where he has to be. And he's fighting Andre Petrusky, who is big and strong and does one thing well. It is one of, uh, you know, the middleweight is where these guys collect. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's what they're made for. Mm-hmm. This is a great middleweight fight. It's a strong, strong booking in the division. They also, before this, they were matching, put it up with uh, the new and improved Marc-Andre Barrio. He's had also, four fights canceled. They tried to yeah. do, well, they tried to do Sean Brady and then they tried to do Stephen Thompson twice. Yep. And then they tried to do uh, Barrio and none of those came through. Yeah. So I, you know, part of me wants to have some reservations of like, oh, Pereira up in a new division, facing a really strong wrestling or wrestler and grappler, which we've seen. We saw this man get taken down and controlled by Tristan Connolly. Mm hmm. I, there, there could be huge problems for him against Andre Petrosky. Mm-hmm. But then I watch Andre Petrosky's like <laughs> his fight with Gerald Mearshart or with Wellington Terman mm-hmm. with the Yao Zhang Hu, and like Petrosky is just real willing to try and bang it out with people. Mm-hmm. And whatever God's, you know, that the, the phrase God doesn't give with both hands comes to mind because whatever the, uh, <laughs> the father doesn't really give with both hands either. No, whatever <laughs> they decided to grant him in grappling prowess or yeah. prowess, they did not grant him in footwork. Yeah. That man cannot move his feet while he strikes to save his life. Yeah. And he's and, just got a he's just got a really clunky like novices kind of he's yeah. powerful. Yeah, he's powerful and he yeah. has guts. He will get tired and he will keep fighting just as hard as when he was not tired. Yep. It's all there, but like it is slow. Yep. And I just got it. Like I say, Michelle Pereira, middleweight, should have always been him. I actually think he'll he'll do this and find out that this would have made a lot of sense all along for him. Yeah, he, there's all the li- all the likelihood that he just won't gas. As yeah. he often has too. Like he missed weight for Stephen Thompson. I'm guessing that's obviously what prompted them him or yeah. somebody to tell him to move up. Yeah, because he missed like, like five pounds. Yeah, yeah, and um. You know, like clearly he he's huge. Like he was cutting a ton of weight to make welterweight all those years. Yeah, and uh, he's probably just gonna. I would not be surprised if he has a lot more energy and he's gonna look super super fast. I think yeah. at middleweight. I mean, he's super fast at welterweight. Yeah, I gotta pick Parada. And sure, he could get knocked out. He could get out grappled and submitted. All of it's possible. I just think Petrosky is. He with the striking game he has and how willing he is to use it, he is heading himself towards getting sparked at some point. Yeah. He already yeah. 
point in back at LFA. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm more concerned with the grappling again, based on that Tristan yeah. Connolly fight. But it wasn't just the grappling; it was uh, a very anti-Barboza kind of game plan. Like, yeah, it was a lot of pressure, like a "I don't care what happens to me" kind of pressure. Yeah, and I, I will also, I have to say. He didn't win. He didn't lose that fight. (laughs) Yeah, Connolly really didn't. Connolly got gifted, you know, in a in a way that felt like justice, but yeah, but was not really a very good decision. Um, and uh, you know that that would be the concern, but I I think it would have to come with that kind of insistent pressure, which I I don't know that Petrosky has, and if he tries, he's going to find that Pereira is really very agile and very very quick. Yeah. And this is the game that Pereira has been playing and, and getting better at it. Like, yeah, Pereira is the dude that's just like, you know, you, you, you just needed to like replace the hamster in the wheel. And it's just like, everything's going to power up and work all of a sudden. You just, it's just like, no dude, just try fighting a little bit smart. Just, yeah, just a little, you just have to just be a little bit concentrated yeah, just try to win rounds. Yeah. That's what he does now. And yeah. um again, he's pretty solid at it and 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 really has a a surprisingly keen awareness of like what he needs to do to win a round or like when he when it's a good idea to dump some of that precious reserve of energy to like thwart the momentum of the opponent. I'm still very impressed with his showing against uh, Andre Fialyu where Yeah. Uh, not that that's like a you know a titan to have beaten, but there were moments there where Fialyu was putting a ton of pressure on Pereira and making him very uncomfortable, and Pereira was like, okay, now is when I need to like Jose Aldo. Yeah. Now is when I need to throw down like four hard punches. I need to back this dude off so I can then get to a place where I can start regaining the energy and just burned doing that. Yep. It was a pretty savvy performance. Um, yep. surprisingly so from a guy who's had one of the least savvy careers of all time up to that point. He really seems to have developed a feeling for winning rounds quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going to pick him. I think he's going to look a lot faster. I think Petrosky's going to have a hard time just cornering him and getting to him. Um, that, uh, but it can just win a decision. Yep. Or possibly knock Petrosky out. Could happen. Yeah, could happen. Like I said, I think Petrosky is headed towards that. If he mm-hmm. keeps throwing the way he he did in his fight against Mearshart, yeah, like somebody is just gonna take his head off. Yep, just so. bolt upright, lumbering forward, huge obvious punches. Yeah, somebody's yeah. gonna clean his clock. Uh, odds on the fight, Petrosky is the underdog. Surprises me a little. I kind of figured that he would be getting more love here. Opened at plus one thirty one. Is currently up at plus one sixty nine. Pereira is the favorite, open at minus 146, currently minus 189. Maybe even the gambling public knows that, like, like I say, Pereira, one of one of God's middleweights. You just yep. this man was was born with a like Yoel Romero birthmark. Yep. Yep. He may have been his body may have been 170, but his soul has been 186 pounds yeah. the, the entire time. Yeah. It would be really funny if Pereira is the guy who now he's finally given up the weight cut and he completely blows the middleweight limit too. That, it could it happen. Would, 
It would not <laughs> shock. That would be the the other very middleweight thing for him to do. Yeah, his body is just like, you know, like like Homer Simpson taking his belt off. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just expands way more than he wants it to. Yeah, the relief of not having to cut that weight. Uh, all right. I would love to see Panetta with a beer gut. That'd be sick. <laughs> Panetta at, he, at heavyweight. He, he, yeah, he gets a beer gut. I would, I would pick him to beat a lot of heavyweights. Yeah, put him at heavyweight, exactly the same physique, except just a big bulbous gut. Yep. I think he would do well. I think he would, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, that brings us to a rehash of a flyweight fight. That yeah. we just saw Edgar Chirez, Daniel Lacerda. At 130. At 130 at a catch weight because they don't have to cut twice. I'm glad they did that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, this should be a pretty easy call since we just saw it. And yeah, However, we did see a different Daniel Lacerda. That actually kind of, to me, makes the call even easier. Yeah, because you don't trust him to actually win a fight with a different approach that isn't just being chaos. Yeah, like chaos is the girl that brung you to the dance. Mm -hmm. And you are like without that factor, Shirez just walked you down and then started out grappling you. He did hit a really, really easy takedown on Chirez. He did, yeah. No, it was great. Chirez is definitely not a great defensive wrestler. We learned not that in the, in the Tatsura Tyra fight. But, um, yeah, he didn't, like, effectively outgrapple Chirez after taking him down. Yeah. Uh, he got caught up in a non-fight ending guillotine um, or Darce choke, some kind of standing front headlock. Uh, and his very next attempt to take Chirez down, I think probably Chirez was just surprised that Lacerda wanted to hit him with a single leg. Yeah. And otherwise, he was just kind of hitting Lacerda at will with like calf kicks and jabs. And yeah. and I, yeah. I, I get that Lacerda seems like a dude where if he takes Chirez down and scrambles really hard with him, even if he doesn't do all the other stuff he's used to doing, yeah, he's yeah, going to yeah. start gassing just the same as he would have had he worked really hard at all the other stuff. I don't think it's a... yeah how hard did I work problem for him? It's an anxiety thing of how wild is the fight getting? Yeah. You know, at some point it stands to boil over and then he's still likely to be just a full intensity guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, might be, it's like a, it could be like a McGregor thing, you know, does yeah. all this, all this work to like extend his cardio. And then once the fight gets crazy, it's like, Oh, you've added one minute. Yep. That's my energy. Feel until you hit the exact same point where you gas out because the problem is deeper than you either slowing down your pace or doing more road work or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm certain nothing I saw there has made me not want to pick Chires again. It, it does make me a little more interested to see that Lacerda is trying to actually develop like a game like Pereira yeah. before him yeah. trying to develop a round winning game, but I, I can't pick it to work yet. No. It didn't really work last time. I mean, he nope. didn't. He shouldn't have lost the fight the way he did, but he wasn't winning it. No, and he was gonna. He was about to lose that fight, you know. Yeah. Uh, Chira's open at minus two eighty seven. Is currently minus three sixteen. 
Daniel Lacerda de Silva opened at plus 244, is currently plus 267. Yeah, sure. all makes sense to me. You can't lean too heavy on Chires as a favorite. He's lost by submission twice, lost mm-hmm. several fights, has a glaring weakness to, to wrestling, all that. But I mm-hmm. uh, can't pick Lacerda to win at this level. It's just... Nothing about his game is made to win at this level. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight fight. Christian Rodriguez, Cameron Simon, and... uh, The Giant Slayer, Christian Rodriguez. Yep, the Giant Slayer against the, uh, well... (laughs) Like he he slayed a giant 18-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that being said, we did just watch Rodriguez's fight with uh, Raul Rosas Jr. for mm-hmm. the depressed us. People won't see that for a minute, yeah. I guess. But um, And uh, as we were at the time, wasn't just uh, the feeling of Rosas not knowing what to expect. Obviously, it was a big part of it. It was a very yeah. typical prospect loss. But Rodriguez showed up. Oh, yeah. I Going back over and looking at his fight, you know, some more of his career again, um, it's really clear that, like I said, I, you know, I said during that depressed us, which I, we can't reference it too much. It makes no sense, but, <laughs> um, go watch project Legion though. <laughs> yes. Go watch project Legion. The problem for Rodriguez is really just that he's a slow bantamweight. Yeah. And this is a div- division where any weakness like that, that is fundamental is going to get you chewed up at some point in the future. But when it comes to being technical or especially to me, I think with Rodriguez, his defense everywhere, he's a good fighter. He's a well-schooled fighter. The dude knows what he's doing out there. Mm -hmm. And that is going to, you know, he's going to be a more difficult fight than a lot of people expect because of that. Mm -hmm. And just a really good positional grappler. Yeah. Like the, uh, guy, the guy wins the, he stops the takedown. He wins any scramble that might result from it. And then you're just kind of in hell. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not like crushing pe- uh, people from top position, but just very difficult to actually just, break his balance and get away. Very fundamental, very controlled. Yeah. Knows, solid. Knows that he is not going to get a lot of excellent positions on his own. So when he gets them, yeah, he keeps them and he looks to make them work. Solid is the word for uh, yep. Christian Rodriguez. And I got to say, I think that that will probably be the difference maker with Cameron Simon, who is very, he's not a very good athlete, not a very strong athlete. I think more than anything, he's he's got decent enough speed, but yeah. the actual physical strength is not there, really. Not like and Rodriguez. Is otherwise you can really see the team philosophy that Drikas Duplessis is working on yeah. in Cameron Simon, where what if somebody is a lesser athlete and also fights the way Drikas Duplessis does? Mm-hmm. And that gym is teaching some broke-ass <laughs> technique. <laughs> yeah. Like, Cameron Simon cannot... Th- I, he, I, He's a southpaw, right? Um, He's kind of both. Kind of. 
I he think cannot, he defaults to southpaw, but he doesn't. Yeah, throw. he defaults to southpaw. He cannot throw his left hand without stepping entirely yeah. forward with his yeah. left foot. He cannot sh- throw his left hand without shifting his stance entirely. Yeah. And every like these guys time, have a have a boxing style which is based on like historical European martial arts. Yeah. In long sword fencing, Zane, that is called a passing step. And it is a fundamental move. Not yeah. so in boxing, though. No. It <laughs> breaks every ounce of his defense every time he does it. And he's wide open to getting hit really hard. Yeah. He will, He much like Drikas too, he is, toughness has been beat into those dudes. Yep. They do not know how to quit. They do not know how to give up on anything. They do not know how to take a step back because they're getting their ass beat. But Cameron Simon is set up to take a beating constantly. Yeah. And... You could see, like, against Mana Martinez, were Mana Martinez not a lesser athlete than yeah. Cameron Simon? That fight was always on the plate every moment of it for Mana Martinez to win. Yep. And I just got to think that Rodriguez being much more defensively responsible than anyone Simon has faced to this point. Yeah. He can just keep doing enough of the right things without giving away all of the huge opportunities that Simon needs to bounce back and jump on. Right. To to just kind of win a very tough, scrappy fight. Simon will tangle up with him. He'll scramble with him. He'll land shots. He'll kick the legs. He'll throw punches and all that. But all while doing it will give up huge opportunities for Rodriguez to get his own offense off. Yeah, And be depending on the idea that when they tangle up, Simon is the guy who will be able to fight through it. And I think Rodriguez is just a little too positionally stable to give up, to give that away every time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pick Rodriguez. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same way. I mean, I, I think Cameron Simon is like Drikas. He's not as bad as it seems like he should be. No, he is, uh, the, the re, I mean, just the pure unhinged unwilling to go awayness of them like it is pathological yeah in both of them and he's actually simon is actually a good scrambler like yeah and he's just he's he's very fierce in in that uh there's like a carlo carlos conditness yeah to his approach where like uh you're absolutely right. Like he can't, he can't really almost throw either of his hands without completely falling out of his stance. Yeah. But if he does that and then you counter him, his response is not, Oh shit, I can't do that. No, his no. response is okay. The counter's coming there. Either I'll eat it or maybe I'll like duck down and shell up and then I'm going to pile on more. Yep. I'm going to follow you out of the exchange. He's a quite effective, like re counterer. Yep. Um, and uh, as you said, he's not a great athlete, but he is a pretty quick and powerful striker. Yeah. He's got pretty fast hands. I, don't, really... I don't know about the power. That's the thing. you got to realize that the guys that he's been fighting are dog shit. Yeah. I'm, all I'm saying is he really commits to his strikes. He, he, does he, he, his... he lands with authority. Yeah. But... Uh, I don't know that he has a lot of natural power, but when he connects, it is with a shot that he has put everything into. Mono Martinez is like 75% head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and Stephen Coslow and Terrence Mitchell, like you are plumbing uh, yeah, the yeah. lowest end of athletic ability in the yeah. Bantamweight division. But like Drinkus, there is like a, there's a calculated nature to this completely sure. messy game. There is a, a seemingly endless ability to tack new ideas on. Yep. And, uh, you know, like these, these guys are genuinely pretty good adjusters. Yeah. They, because they, of that. If he wins, I won't be shocked. Like I said, yeah. Rodriguez is not a far cut um, athletically above those guys. Yeah. I think he's just a lot more responsible defensively, which is why I'm picking it. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. Just way more solid, going to be much harder to get to. And whether it's, um, you know, being able to run Simon into counters, but also running him into shots, Simon's takedown yeah. defense is not very good. No. Because, because he is so rarely, uh, in position to actually fight off the takedown. He gets by on his great scrambling, but as we noted before, Rodriguez is very difficult to outscramble. Raul Rosas is a good scrambler. Yeah. You know, very naturally good scrambler. And almost immediately in that fight, Rodriguez was just winning the scrambles and then winning the entire rest of the round off of that. Yeah. He doesn't, he knows what his limitations are and he doesn't give up positions when he gets them. He doesn't exactly. give up advantages when he gets them. Yeah. So I'll, I, I'm, I'm, I think Simon has some sneaky potential. He's, you know, he's in the same way as Drigas. You don't want him to be good, but he's creative. He's tough. Yeah. Um, and he I is think fearless. He's much more physically frail than Drigas, which is why I think For sure. his ceiling is going to be a lot lower at bantamweight. But For he's sure. been getting the right matchup so far that it hasn't cost him yet. Yeah. It helps Drigas that he is just a physical specimen. He is a and beast. He's, yeah. He's giant. And yeah. you, you see him against, we, you know, it, it suddenly became apparent in that Robert Whitaker fight. You're like, oh, wait. Yeah. This guy is just a behemoth. He hits like a truck and he's really strong and he's really tough. Uh, and Simon has s some speed, but he doesn't really have any of the other things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll take Rodriguez as well. But uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting matchup. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Rodriguez, he's not a great athlete for this division. So. Right. Right. He's he's going to hit a wall himself pretty soon. And so, yeah, if you're going to put you like this is a great competitive fight for these two, because mm -hmm. Rodriguez is a positional, a defensively minded, positionally solid mm -hmm. kind of slow athlete against a very aggressively minded, very scramble forward, uh, faster, but weaker athlete. Yeah. You wouldn't guess that Rodriguez is only 25 based on his style. No, he has no. a real classy game. Uh, Rodriguez opened at minus 165, is currently minus 149. Simon opened at plus 147, currently plus 135. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. Of course, if you're a Substack subscriber, come join us for a little bit of bonus content. If you're not a Substack, Substack subscriber, then what are you doing with your life? You know, come on. Come on. I see you on the streets. You pass me by. You don't know my name. This is about respect. Yeah. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. 
Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.